Blog Talk Radio. Hi, my name is Nick from the Marlins Catch Podcast. Make sure to follow us at Marlins Catch on Twitter and Instagram. For more Marlins content, check out our website at themarlinscatch.com. The Marlins Catch Podcast is sponsored by the Baseball Podcast Network. And you can follow the Baseball Podcast Network on following platforms. Instagram, Baseball Podcast Net. Twitter, Baseball Podcast One, without the T. YouTube and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. You can listen to the Marlins Catch Podcast live on blogtalkradio.com or download the Marlins Catch Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the show. Gracias. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to episode number 11 of the Marlins Catch Podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a.k.a. Marlins News, and I'm actually joined here by our producer and the creator and owner of the Baseball Podcast Network and the owner of Bucko Booth on Saturdays. It is Benton Fexer. Hey, what's up, guys? Usually uh, behind the scenes, but tonight coming out, uh, excited to talk about the Marlins with Nick and uh, see where we can go. Mm-hmm. Very happy to get Benson on here. Uh, you know, he's got a great mind, so it's good to pick his brain a little bit here and there. So yeah, we're gonna dump right, we uh, jump right into this today, guys. Uh, for our first topic, of course, we will be going into the weekly awards. You guys know this by now. Uh, it's a regular thing we do here on the Mullins Catch Podcast. Um, but before we do that, we're just gonna recap the the uh, week for the Mullins this week. So Tuesday, they did not play Monday. Tuesday, they defeated the Mets eight to one. Wednesday, they defeated the Cardinals 4-1. to Thursday, they defeated the Astros 12-6. to Friday, they defeated the Braves 7-6. to Saturday, they defeated the Mets 11-6. to And yesterday, they defeated the Cardinals 4-2. to And today, they won 7-1. to Now, the Marlins have been very hot as late. I think they won eight straight already. It's very pleasing to see for the fish going into the season here. As you want to start the season up on a high note, they are 14-10 going in right now, as of now. Um, and a lot of exciting bats uh, today, especially from Anderson and Martin Prado and Peter O'Brien having five RBIs. I've been very impressed with the offense that has been happening for the fish. So we'll jump right into the awards here. I know this is the big topic here on the moment to catch. So we're going to go with our first topic, and that is going to be the MVP award of the week. This is, of course, for the best player of the week who wasn't really, you know, hitting the ball well. And it was very hard for me to pick it because Neil Walker has been doing very well as of late in spring training as well. And, you know, this is this one of my harder ones, but I'm going to have to give it to Brian Anderson right now. Peter O'Brien was one of my options I was going to do, but Brian Anderson is the man of the week for me. Uh, just finding the ball very, very well. Very encouraging sign to see going into the season as he will be our starting third baseman over at third base, and I think it's just great news to see. The whole team really deserves the MVP award this week because of how, how many runs they've been producing in the pitch. And we'll be getting into that very shortly. But, you know, it's just definitely positive. That is another intriguing guy that I really like, and I think he will be in the starting lineup. Rather than to my projected lineup that I released on my Instagram, I do think Peter O'Brien sneaks into the lineup there and he will be playing first base for the fish. And going into our Cy Young tier for the for the uh, for the year here, not the year of course, but the spring training here. I got Trevor Richards, and my God, did he dominate! He was perfect through four innings of work. Trevor Richards, six innings of work. My fault. Six innings of work with six strikeouts, going perfect. Six innings. Very, very good for him as he's trying to make his case. Him and Pablo Lopez trying to make their case for the starting rotation here for the Marlins. Very, very pleased to see that from Trevor Richards. I've always liked Trevor Richards. I've always thought he's got a, you know, he's got a nasty changeup and very underrated pitcher in my in my books here. But Trevor Richards trying to make his case to get in, trying to beat out Trevor uh, Rogers. We put Trevor Rogers there. Lee and Chen trying to beat out Lee and Chen. Uh, just very intriguing to see. Very happy about that. You know, I just want nothing but the best for all those guys here and you know, very intriguing stuff for the future. 
Benson, uh, I don't know if you saw about the perfect game, six innings, Trevor Richards threw. Can I just get your thoughts on how he pitched on that day? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I did not get a chance to, to watch the game or really follow it, but I was on Instagram and you know, scrolling through the feed, and I saw the Marlins post about his changeup, and they were comparing to like a rainbow or something. And, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about uh, this young right-handed pitcher, and uh, many do believe that he could be, you know, top this month's rotation for years to come. That changeup, if it's as good as advertised, uh, it's a deadly pitch. It looks like a James Shields-type changeup, and it, it wouldn't be a stretch to say that he could be a James Shields-type pitcher in 2019 and beyond. For sure, yeah, that stuff is nasty. And if he can get command of that changeup, that could really be effective for him down in the long run here for the Marlins. And that's what we need. We need a long-term pitcher here for us that can go long-term. And I know my, I really hope he makes the rotation. I think he's got what it takes to make the rotation. Um, he's got the velocity up there. He's nice, young. Um, so I think that was just a great great job by him. And for the Fish to win eight straight, very, very intriguing. Very, very happy about that. And we're off to a great start. I mean, we weren't off to a great start, but now we're just playing so much better than we used to. Uh, very encouraging for this for the season coming up for the Fish. Uh, I know many of you don't think the Marlins will be winning, but uh, you know it's just it's just great times to look forward to. Uh, before we get into our next topic here, I just wanted to make sure you guys check out our merch at the BaseballPodcastNetwork.com. Uh, check out that Lewis Brinson Hometown Kid T-shirt. Uh, it's up there for sale right now. Uh, it's very very nice, comfortable. I have one of my own. I know I say it's every week, but it's a, you know it's a great shirt. You guys definitely should check it out. It's a really nice design on it. So definitely go check that out. You're really gonna like it. But getting into our next topic here, we're gonna be talking about the 2019 opponents. Now, you all may say, hey, the Marlins are not competing this year, but it's always good to go check out the opponents for the season as there are some intriguing teams up there, a lot of American League teams up there, like usual. And we had the Yankees come down last year. That was a big team as well. And when you look at the schedule, like, you know, American League teams is always like, good teams you want to go out and watch. You only get, you know, some people get tired of the NL teams. But, so, yeah, here are some intriguing opponents for the Fish this year that we have to watch out for. And we're going to do month by month here. So we're going to start off in March here. Of course, there's only three games. The Rockies here. So nothing really, you know, eye-popping there. But when you come down to the you know, the bigger teams, let's see. The Indians play the Marlins on April 30th. That is one of the big opponents that the Marlins need to capitalize on. They will be home against that game. The Marlins need to defeat the Indians here. The show them. That's in an AL team. The Indians are a very, very, very nice team. They're a very young team. Uh, we need to stop Lindor, Jose Ramirez. Hopefully, Kluber does not pitch in the series against us. That is a very, very big team that we need to defeat. We didn't play them last year. Playing this year, we need to defeat them. Also, the Cubs in the month of April. We played them in the, in the uh, series opener last year. We went, we uh, split the series with them, two games to two. Uh, we need to go out there. We need to win that series for us. Especially what happened on that opening day on the first pitch from Jose Urania to Ian Happ. We need to bounce back from that. Also, another game here, besides the Indians here, that as we go to the to the month of May, the San Francisco Giants, we had a little bit of a rivalry with. Uh, Hunter Strickland and Lewis Brinson weren't really on the great terms down there in uh, San Francisco. Uh, it was just a long story, uh, but hopefully we get the win down there as we are home that week, but that is definitely another week that we need to be on top as when we play the Giants, that is a tough week as well. And the Indian is only a two-game series, so we need to beat win both of those games. And then when you go to June, of course, you play the Brewers. You got Lewis Brinson. I mean, not Lewis Brinson, sorry. You got Christian Yelich over there. It was an intriguing game. It was an intriguing piece there as well, of course, because we traded him to the Milwaukee Brewers for Lewis Brinson and other prospects there. But nothing too um, intriguing there. Um in that month here. Then you go here to July, and we take on the Minnesota Twins in two-game set. The Twins will be another intriguing team as they are also an AL team, and they're getting off. They had a younger team. They weren't really showing off too much last year, but I do think they're going to come out on top and be a playoff contender this year. They've been very quiet this offseason, but I think the Twins could do something here to turn that around, and they will have a nice season come March. 
And in August, you go down to the schedule as well. And you look, and you, you know, we play the Rockies again here, but you know, the Twins is only a three-game, two-game series. We get the Dodgers here. They need to win all three of those games. Those are home games for the, against the Dodgers. You need to win those games. Definitely intriguing games as well. And then you go to September, take on the Royals in the three-game series, which is also an AL team. Royals rebuilding just like us. So hopefully we get those wins that season. But nothing too intriguing for the Fish. Um, we do not take on the Red Sox or Yankees or any of those teams like that. Um, you know, we've got to you know, we gotta take advantage of our games here. Um, you know, it's going to be a tough season for us. We're, again, we're inside a big rebuilding process. And no one ever said it would be easy for us, but, you know, we want to, you know, show the guys, hey, we're here to compete. That's that's our goal here. Benson, what, what are your thoughts about the opponents for the Fish this year and how you think they will uh, fare in the NL? Yeah, so just looking at the National League East, it's obviously stacked besides the Miami Marlins. And really, you know, I was listening to MLB Network the other day, and the guys were talking about how important the month of April is going to be for the NL East. As we saw last season in the NL West and the NL Central, we had two game 163s with the Rockies and Dodgers and the Cubs and the Brewers. So April's going to be a very important month. And really the Marlins, they clearly don't have an opportunity to win this division or really compete in 2019. But they do have an opportunity to play spoiler a lot of the time. Considering that they play all four of those teams 19 times apiece, that is a lot of games. They have 76 games in which they have an opportunity to play spoiler in this division. Just early in the season, you look at that second series of the year at home against the Mets. If they sweep the Mets early, big series early on, and they go to Atlanta. Uh, you have the Phillies at home that month. You go to Philadelphia, Washington that month. There are a lot of games just in the month of April alone where the Mons have a chance to throw a wrench into the plans of division opponents, and especially down the stretch. This Division, yes, the Marlins aren't going to be competing, but they have an opportunity to play spoiler all season long. Mm-hmm. Just like what Benson said there, spoiler. Um, the Fish could do that to a team. And you saw it last year. The Fish did that as well as some teams trying to make a late postseason run. And, you know, Miami, again, they are not competing. They are rebuilding, but they can play spoiler. And the teams they are going against are playoff teams. There's a lot of playoff teams in there. At the end of the season, the Fish could play spoiler two. When you go down to the September, you don't have much games because, of course, the Fish won't be in there. When you go down to September, you've got teams like the Phillies, who are the last games you play, the Mets, the Nationals, the Diamondbacks. These guys are trying to make playoff pushes here at the end. The Brewers and, of course, the Pirates as well, all going to be trying to get in that last wild card spot. And I do think the Brewers will win the division this year, but a lot of those teams will be trying to get into that last wild card spot. And, you know, again, the Mullins could play spoilers. You are right about that. But before we get into our next break, uh, Ben, I know you um, wanted to say this, but I guess we're going to head over to a small break, guys. We'll be back right after this. This week on FanCast, we'll be discussing a bunch of new topics regarding the Phillies and their entrance into opening day, which is in just nine days. First, We'll talk about how Brace Harper quickly recovered for being hit by a 96-mile-an-hour fastball in the ankle. And we'll also discuss if Sir Anthony Dominguez is the Phillies' closer of the future. Will they share opportunities with David Robertson and Sir Anthony? Or will David Robertson take full responsibility at the back of the end of the bullpen? Will MLB's new rules affect Gabe Kapler and the Phillies? We'll discuss how Carlos Santana truly showed how Phillies fans felt at the end of the year when he bashed the TV in when Phillies players played Fortnite during games. All this and more in the newest episode of FanCast. All right, guys, we are back here from the break, and we're going to dive right into the next topic here, and that is Trevor Richards and Pablo Lopez on trying to make their push into the rotation. You guys all saw it in spring. These guys are looking very, very nice here, and this is what we've been meeting for. And when you look at the rotation, it looks you know, it looks like it's pretty filled. And no, not filled with, you know, fantastic arm talent here. But when you look, you got options. you got Urania, who's a lock. you got Straley, who's a lock. Lee and Chen, uh, we'll get back to him. Trevor Richards, 
Sandy Alcantara, Cable Smith, and Pablo Lopez. Uh, I'm looking for, all right, so we and Chen and Vance Bailey are pretty much locks in there. But when you look at Caleb Smith, I'm really hoping that he does come and he's healthy and he's ready to go, and I want him in the rotation. I do like his arm. Sandy Alcantara will most likely be in the rotation as well. So that's three, that's four pitches right, pitchers right there. You were down to Caleb, you were down to Pablo Lopez, Trevor Richards, and Wee and Chen. In my opinion, I am not a fan of Wee and Chen at all. I do not think I think the Marlins should release him and pay the the money that they owe him from the rest of the deal. I do not think he is a good fit here. He just wasn't showing it, especially in spring. He's got a 9.53 ERA in four games and 185 WHIP. That's no, that's you know that's ridiculous in my opinion. They need to move on from him in my opinion. I think it's time for him to move on. I think Trevor Richards and Pablo Lopez will come down to them. And some, you see some teams do six-man rotation, and you could possibly see that. But if Caleb Smith, again, is not healthy, I do see the rotation being Uranus, Dan Straley, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, and Trevor Richards, and that is my opinion. But if Caleb Smith is healthy, healthy, I do see, I do see Pablo Lopez and Trevor Richards having huge collisions, and they're trying to compete for that last job there. Uh, Trevor Richards would fantastic the other night and we saw Pablo Lopez too he threw four perfect innings so it's, it's really hard here to pinpoint who will be the final starter in the rotation but these two are definitely very very intriguing very very pleased in their performances here and that's what you like to see you like to see competition here you know we may be out of the playoffs here we may not be trying to win our games right now but you see competition you see these guys wanting to do what they want to do. You want to see them trying to compete and make that last rotation spot is definitely very, very intriguing for the Marlins, and I do think these guys have a legitimate shot in making the rotation. And our rotation is, it's not looking, you know, it it's not the best in baseball. People really misjudge it when you look at it. Like, it's, all the talent's not there, but you do still have some young pe- pieces in there, like Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara. People are not big fans of Urania, and I know why uh, from the little Atlanta Braves incident. But you know he's not—he's—he's he's a solid pitcher too. Remember that he's not a bad, bad pitcher. But like for teams, he would be in the rotation. He would be a top three pitcher. You know, last year, Urania had a 4.66 ERA. Definitely could get that up because in 2017, he had a nice year with a 3.82 ERA with 14 wins. And that was a very intriguing year for Jose Urania. I was expecting a big year this year. But the run support was never there for Straley, not Straley, Urania. Even last year wasn't there for him. So he needs that run support to win ball games here. And Dan Straley as well, he needs to run support. He, had, he was, you know, he was hurt last year, he was off and on last year. But we really saw a big year from Alcantara, and I think he is the most exciting pitcher in this rotation to come next to Pablo Lopez and Trevor Richards. But I still look at Trevor Richards, and I've always liked him. I always thought he would be. Like our guy to come in, and you know you got guys you got Nick Nider in the farm system who could be get called up at any time, but he could be heading down to minor league camp. So I see a little bit on him until September maybe. And Zach Gallon, all these young guys, but I think our rotation for now going into this season looks pretty set, except for Lee and Chen. I do not think Lee and Chen will be making the rotation, and it will either be a six-man rotation or Caleb Smith will be in there. Or he gets hurt, unfortunately, which I don't want. I do like Caleb Smith. I want him in the rotation. And then, but I just want to see if you know who would win, Rich Richards or Pablo Lopez. I like them both. Hopefully, either a six-man rotation or one of those guys goes in there. Benson, you what are your thoughts about the Marlins rotation coming into the 2019 season, and how do you think they can capitalize on tough teams this year? Yeah. So really, when you look at rebuilding teams. As fans, you think, what is the point of watching the season? What is the point of rooting for the Marlins in 2019? Well, the point is to develop the building blocks to move forward as a franchise. Last year, a major building block, many could argue, be Brian Anderson and his outstanding 2018 season. So 2019 is really about finding some more pieces of those building blocks to go forward into 2020 and beyond. And In regards to the rotation, if it were me, I mean, the locks, I believe, obviously, Arania, Straley, and 
I honestly do believe Wei Yan Chen is going to be a lock as well. He has seven years of service time, and for a young club like the Miami Marlins, they need that experience atop the rotation. Yes, he hasn't performed well uh, in the past couple of years, but he's the most experienced pitcher in that rotation. He's going to be turning 34 at some point in the season, and I believe he could help at the top of that rotation. Obviously, he's not the future. If you look at the future of this rotation, you're looking at Urania, 27 years old. You're looking at Trevor Richards, 25. Caleb Smith, 27. Pablo Lopez, 23. And then guys in the system such as uh, Sandy Alcantara and then uh, the guy they just got from the Philly six to Sanchez. So if you look at the future of the rotation, what you want to see is Jose Urania takes steps forward. You want to see Trevor Richards and potentially Pablo Lopez take this next step forward. And you want to develop a core that is going to stick together for years to come. Derek Jeter is trying to build a new culture in Miami, and that culture really is togetherness about building a young group that's going to come up hungry together and ready to win. They're going to go through the pains together, but they're also going to look to win together. Take the Pittsburgh Pirates in like 2010, 2009. Guys like Andrew McCutcheon, Pedro Alvarez, Neil Walker, they grew up together in Pittsburgh. They struggled in Pittsburgh, but then they found success in Pittsburgh. That's what this new wave of Miami Marlins guys need to do. They need to go through their growing pains, and then that next wave of guys is going to follow them once this 2019-2020 team struggles. But 2021-2022, when that next wave of talent comes, this fish team could be a competitive ball club. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. It's always, you know, the growing pains will be there for the Marlins, uh, of course, because they are a rebuilding team. But, you know, we, we just want, we want nothing but success for them. And you know, a lot of teams outside of the NL East don't really know what the Marlins are capable of. Uh, especially with this young core that the Marlins are putting together and what Derek Jeter is putting together. Uh, I, I, I see him putting together um, you know, a young team that can use its success. And I know we are rebuilding. I know we're trying to get a top team, a top pick here, top-tier pick here. Um, but, again, no, Derek Jeter's goal is not going to say, hey, we're going to put a team out there and we're going to lose. He wants to compete. He expects to compete every day. And you know, I did. I know he did say he's getting impatient, and then people are arguing like, "Hey, he traded away all the players here." No, they get the losing attitude, and Dom Angley, I bet, preaches that inside the dugout and in the in the clubhouse. He wants to go out there and he wants to compete. I know he says that cause he does want to compete. You know, we hired Dom Angley for a reason. We hired Dom Angley not to lose our names. We hired him to come in here and have us win. And I know we're putting against a young team here. And our goal is to get young and to build a sustainable franchise for years to come. And this is what Derek Jeter believes. What this is what Derek Jeter believes. What it takes is a rebuild, and that's I completely agree with him. A rebuild is what is necessary. And people keep saying that Christian Yelich. Why do we trade him? He requested to be traded. He did not want to be here anymore due to everybody else leaving. He did not want to be part of a rebuilding team. He requested a trade, and we, we answered the trade, and we got Lewis Brinson back and Isan Diaz and Monte Harrison, and we got a lot of young prospects for him. And, you know, we, we didn't force him to stay here. Uh, it was a very, very nice team-friendly contract, but, you know, he wanted out, and that's what we did. We answered him, and we uh, we took him out, unfortunately. And so we're going to, you know, yeah, it's definitely um, a hard piece to lose there for sure, but you know, definitely, you know, definitely we're gonna we we'll definitely have replacements with Lewis Brinson here, and you know, I I always talk about Lewis Brinson, but again, he is a franchise centerpiece in my opinion. But going back to the rotation, the young arms need to stay healthy, and you know, they got to pitch the best way they can. The bullpen as well, we need these guys to get ready to go, and some starters may have to go in the bullpen. From, from the uh, minor leagues, and they have to start in the bullpen to you know, get used to it, really. It's like Colin Garcia did, Eliza Hernandez, and you know, that's uh, definitely a smart idea to do. But before we get into our next topic, we are going to again go to another small break. We'll be back right after this. Tune in this Wednesday to Pinstripe Talk at 5 o'clock. We go over everything going on in the land of the New York Yankees. 
We discuss Aaron Hicks and a lingering back injury and what it could mean to begin the season for the Bombers. We talk about Luis Severino being out until at least May 1st, and how that affects Yankees' rotation now and going forward. And finally, we talk about Major League Baseball and the rule changes that will affect the 2019-2020 seasons and beyond. All this and much more going on in the land of New York Yankees. All this and more on Pinstripe Talk, Wednesday, 5 o'clock. Be there, Yankee fans. All right, guys, we are back here in the moment. Catch. Uh, we're going to jump right into our next topic here, and that is summing up the NL East this offseason. It's a very intriguing offseason for the Fish. Um, so let's talk about it a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, we definitely have a lot to talk about the NL East this year. But, Ben, so I'm going to let you start it off here. Uh, a couple of technical difficulties going on on my side over here. So I'll let you start talking about how the NL East has changed this year and how intriguing it is. Yeah, so the NL East arguably was the most active division this offseason, and therefore it's going to be one heck of a division in 2019, just top to bottom. We start with uh, the division winners in 2018 with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, most of their moves were early this offseason, signing Josh Donaldson to a mega one-year contract, bringing back Brian McCann. Not really many moves after that. They did re-sign Nick Marcakis, which was a quality move. Uh, they were in the Remuta sweepstakes for a little while. Obviously, did not end up landing him. But the Braves, really, they have a ton of solid young pieces. Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzie Albies, Freddie Freeman is still there. And this team is built for the future, and they're built to win now. Now, Are they going to win now? Are they going to repeat their success in 2018? Who knows? That's why they play the games. But definitely still a solid offseason for this Atlanta Braves team. When we look at this second team uh, from last year. We look at the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, stealing the biggest free agent uh, in baseball history, arguably, and Bryce Harper with that 13-year, $330 million deal. Now, regardless of whether he's overpaid, whatever your opinion on that may be, it's a quality sign for the Philadelphia Phillies, and it's going to help them immensely in 2019. And that wasn't the only move. I mean, this offseason may be categorized as the Bryce Harper offseason for the Philadelphia Phillies, but really, they acquired unbelievable amounts of talent. You look at Andrew McCutcheon. You look at JT Romuto. Yes, they did give up Sixto Sanchez and Jorge Alfaro, but they got JT Romuto. Andrew McCutcheon, Bryce Harper, Gene Segura. Uh, they traded Carlos Santana away, allowing Reese Hoskins to move back to first base. It's going to be a very exciting Philadelphia Phillies team, and the question mark with them comes with their pitching staff. What you know? What happens after Aaron Nola? Yes, they have Jake Arrieta, but he did struggle at times last year. Is Nick Pavetta going to take that next step forward? What happens with Zach Eflin, Vince Velasquez? The rotation's a question mark, and then in the middle relief bullpen ends as well. They got Sir Anthony Dominguez. They got David Robertson. But what happens after that? Uh, yes, there's Victor Arano there, but he's been struggling in spring training. So, Philadelphia Phillies are an interesting team. Are they ready to compete? They were the, the, the division lead for a long time in 2018, but they really never were able to finish down the stretch. Then you look at the uh, the New York Mets, uh, intriguing team, uh, acquiring uh, Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano. Uh, their biggest move of the offseason. They also signed Jed Lowry. And there are a lot of underrated uh, depth pieces, such as Keon Broxton they brought in, Rajay Davis on the minor league contracts, uh, trade for J.D. Davis. So an interesting offseason for the Mets as well. Are they going to be able to lean heavily on their studs, Jacob DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard, Zach Wheeler, to help them get into the playoffs? Who knows? It's it, The Mets – Definitely, I think, the, the longest shot out of the four you know, competitive teams in the division. Then you have the Washington Nationals. You know, signing Patrick Corbin. Yes, they lost Bryce Harper, but they have Patrick Corbin. Victor Robles is being put in an opportunity to shine. They still have Juan Soto, who had a dominant rookie campaign. Bryce Harper asked when he was 19 years old. And that rotation is as good as any in the league with Strasburg and Scherzer and Patrick Corbin. The back end of that is a question, but when you have those three, you're going to win a lot of baseball games. The bullpen's a big question mark, but they still have a lot of talented pieces. Anthony Rendon, still got Ryan Zimmerman. They, as I said, Juan Soto, Victor Robles. 
the Nationals are going to be a team to compete with. And then the Marlins, I mean, some underrated moves this offseason, signing Curtis Granderson, Neil Walker, uh, bringing in Sixto Sanchez and Jorge Alfaro while moving a piece that didn't want to be there in JT Ramuto. Overall, the NL East was, was crazy this offseason. And in an offseason categorized by slow moving, the NL East has been fast-paced, I mean, all throughout the offseason. So definitely an interesting offseason and one to remember uh, for the ages, the 2018-19 offseason for the NL East. Mm-hmm. Definitely um, definitely an intriguing offseason here. And, you know, you took it all away here. You know, Harper going to the Phillies, uh, it was definitely crazy. And you got young guys like Victor Robles taking the place of Harper for Washington. And then, Har- and of course, J.T. Romuto to the Phillies as well. And the Mets getting Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz. Definitely the NL East is competing now. And the Mahomes are just holding back, drinking a soda, and just waiting for those guys to finish competing. And, you know, those guys may be competing for a while. You don't know what the Mahomes are doing for the farm. They're just watching the NL East right now. They're just watching them compete. And this is, uh, you know, this is our time to just relax and, you know, just take it day by day here and just, figure out what our plan is for the future and what our plan is to bring a franchise to the Miami city. And for the fans here have been dying for wins weeks for, I don't know how long, but you know, it's definitely, you know, we're trying to, uh, trying to bring a young team in and that's our plan here. And I know we can do it. The fish really need to do it. And you know, that's, that's what we're, you know, we, the NL East is definitely getting rough this year for the Marlins and, it's going to be a dogfight between every single team. It's going to be fun to watch, um, but you know it's it's going to be hard for the fish. And uh, you know we're going to do the best we can here to just hang on here and not fall too far behind. But I do know we are going to finish fifth in the NL East. I'll be very, 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 very surprised if we finish fourth because there's you know, four of the other teams in our division are actually competing with the Nationals, Phillies, Mets, and Braves. You can go over to the Braves, but pick it up. Josh Donaldson as well. And you got the young rising Ronald Acuna Jr., who is raking and he'll probably lead off for the Braves this year. And you got Ozzy Albee. His team is good. And by far, the NL East Braves are one of my are my favorite team to watch because of how, how young they are and how they are trying to compete right now in the NFL and the MLB. And I just think that they have the, the right tools to be a young, sustainable franchise, and we will be competing with that team in the near future. I can guarantee it. But before we go into our next topic, you know, we will not be heading over to an ad. We'll actually be talking about not the farm system, nothing like that. We'll actually be talking about the lineups going in also for the for the NL East. And when you look at the lineup here, maybe the Marlins have strength over some of the other teams in the MLB and the NL East. Like, you look at Brian Anderson. Maybe Anderson is a better third baseman than Michael Franco right now. Right? Or, or maybe better than Anthony Rendon. And, oh, I, of course, he, I can't really brag right now, but, you know, Anderson is a nice young piece. And Beth, you were talking about Anderson earlier, how we can build around him as a franchise, and that's exactly what these Marlins are going to do. And, you know, I definitely like him. I think he's one of the youngest players on the team that actually has the brightest future. Him and Lewis Brinson. Anderson showed it before Lewis Brinson did before. And you know, that's you definitely look at that like, yo, this is this is our guy. He had a two he had a um he had a two seventy seven average last year. Uh two sixty two uh, two seventy three average last year, sorry guys. With eleven home runs. He definitely wants to get those home runs up. Uh, he wants to be more of a power hitter at third base. And at third base, I don't blame him. It is a hot corner, and a lot of third basemen have power, and that's what he needs. And you know, he wants to he wants to bulk up, and he wants to do that. He wants to get bigger there, and that's that's his plan there at third base with Brian Anderson and Benson. Also, do you think Anderson will have a power surge this year for the Marlins, or do you think he will stay as a pure contact hitter? It's tough to say because the, the sophomore season for a lot of these rookies tends to be the season that defines their career moving forward and how they're going to perform. You look at a guy like Jock Peterson, excellent first half of his rookie year, the second half he struggled, and in his sophomore year, he didn't necessarily per se struggle, but he wasn't the same hitter that we saw in the first half of his rookie year. Now Brian Anderson had a fantastic rookie season. I'm not taking that away from him, but... This season is going to be an important one for him because the league knows who he is. They know what's up. And 
how is he going to adjust to that? Baseball is a game of adjustments. The pitchers adjust based on what the hitters do, then the hitters adjust back. Is Brian Anderson going to hit back, or is he going to get knocked down? And, you know, the baseball season is a roller coaster, so there's ups and downs. But when you see the whole body of work in 2019, that's definitely going to be one of the storylines. How is Brian Anderson going to do, and will the Marlins be able to build around him moving forward? And I just want to bring up something. One of the things that troubles me about the current state of the Marlins rebuild is they have a lot of guys in their lineup that really aren't going to be a part of the future. I mean, Curtis Granderson's the projected leadoff hitter right now. Neil Walker, projected three hitter. Starling Castro, yes, he's still there, but I don't think he's going to be part of the future. Uh, and then, I mean, Peter O'Brien, he's, he, the, the core guys I believe are going to be intriguing this year are Anderson, Peter O'Brien, Lewis Brinson, JT Riddle, and Jorge Alfaro. If those guys can take step forwards together, it'll be good to see. Uh, the second half Marlins team may look a heck of a lot different than the opening day team because I believe they should try their hardest to get rid of Granderson, Walker, and Castro. If they can move those pieces, it'll be intriguing to see what they get back. But they're going to need to have good first halves to bring anything of value back to Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you look at the wide, if you if you look at the you know wide variety of players on our team here. That won't be here. Yeah, you are right. Curtis Anderson will not be here in the future. In my opinion, Peter O'Brien will not be here either. Uh, you know, and due to his power surge, you know, he is very young too, only 20 years old. Not very, very young, but young enough here. But I don't see him as a long-term option here for the Marlins. I do think he will be traded in the near future. Uh, Neil Walker, he won't be here. Martin Prado, you know, all these guys. And you know, most of the players that will be here for the future is on our bench. And not on bench, but in the farm system, I don't know. But you got Sixto Sanchez here, Sandy Alcantara, who's actually making his surge up and will be in the rotation this year. I can guarantee it. But you guys got like that. Isan Diaz, who is Brenton, who as well is there for the Marlins. But, you know, a lot of Victor Victor Mesa, Monte Harrison, guys like that, Connor Scott, Nick Nider, Will Banfield, uh, all those guys here are going to be on the future Marlins here. And, you know, again, don't look so much to this to this year, really. You know, we're still rebuilding a lot of our guys need to learn a lot as well. And you know, it's not it's not going to be a fun year again for you, Marlins fans. For you Marlins fans listening here, hoping that we're going to have like a good year, we're going to have a great year. Uh, I don't want to let you down hard here, but it's you know, it's not going to be a great year for us again. It, it, it's a it's a big rebuilding year and. We're just trying to, you know, take it easy here. We're, we're going to do a slow start. See what the Astros are now. You know, that's, that's kind of where we want to be here for the future. And, you know, we're just trying to move up slowly. Um, but, you know, we will be getting to our goal very soon. But before we get into our next topic, we're going to have to go to one last commercial break. We will be back right after the break. And we will be talking about if Adam Jones was a Marlin because the Marlins did express interest in signing him here. Of course, he signed in Arizona, but we'll be talking about if he was here and what free agent outfielders and Marlins should consider if they are looking to buy into one. So we'll be back right after the break. Hello, it's Tim from the Amazing Mets podcast, where every Thursday night we cover everything you need to know about the New York Mets. On this week's episode, at at 7 o'clock to 7.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we will be interviewing Mets prospect Blake Taylor. We will also be going over who the Mets should contract extend. Should we extend the National League Cy Young of 2018, Jacob deGrom? Should we extend young flamethrower Noah Syndergaard? Should we extend... Brennan Nimmo, or Michael Conforto? I guess you'll have to find out on the Amazing Mets podcast coming this Thursday at 7 o'clock at 7.45. Please call in, and then we'll answer any questions you have. Thank you, and hope to see you there on the Amazing Mets podcast. All right. All right, guys, we are back here on the Moan's Catch podcast. Um, but we are going to get right into potential free agents, outfielders that the Marlins should sign. And before we get into that, Adam Jones, if he came to Miami, and if you look at Adam Jones, he would not 
he would start, but he would not be a long-term option here for the Marlins. I guarantee it due to his age, being 33 years old, signed in the desert in Arizona, but last year had a 281 average and had 63 RBIs. Really had a nice year last year. It would have been a nice pickup to have him. Adam Jones has always been a solid outfielder. You could see it, but Adam Jones, if he signed here, he would help us out, in my opinion. He wouldn't play center. Lewis Brinson would be taking center. I feel like he would probably be taking over left field and Curtis Granderson would move to right field. And then Peter O'Brien would start at first base. Due to Neil Walker, though, after having a nice spring, it would be a nice competition there for both teams. Um, but, yeah, you know, uh, this is definitely going to be, again, a rough year for the fish. But, yeah, if we signed Adam Jones, that would definitely help us out, in my opinion, help the young guys out like Lewis Brinson as well. And it would be a nice fit, you know. Uh, he did choose a desert and wanted. It wasn't massive interest as well. It was, no, it was it was lower interest from the fish. And I guess he did want to maybe go there as well. Uh, but, you know, we got Curtis Granderson, who I think will be a fantastic leadoff hitter for us. And Peter O'Brien could always play right field and just start Neil Walker at first base. Uh, but, no, there are some also outfielders out there that we could sign still and that this way in the free agency. You got guys like Dallas Keuchel hasn't signed with a team yet. And you know, there's some free agents out there that you can sign. But, you know, hey, Benson, what is your opinion if Adam Jones was on the Miami Marlins here? Would he be the opening the starter? Where would he play? What would you think? I would have been sort of upset with Derek Jeter and the Marlins brass if they would have went out there and signed uh, Adam Jones. Because, you know, what is the point? Like, the Marlins franchise, yes, Derek Jeter says he's sick and tired of losing, but why did he trade away all their good guys? Yes, they sort of didn't want to be here. He had to get money off the books, starting fresh. But you have to be patient in these situations. I mean, you look at the 2013 Houston Astros. They really didn't have any veteran guys on that team. The oldest guy on the 2013 Houston Astros was uh, Jose Veras at the age of 32. He's not a you know, good veteran player. The Miami Marlins need to realize that, okay, we need to take you know, the L, so to speak, in these coming years. We need to lose. Do well in the draft. Develop young players. Some will stick, some won't. You stick with the guys that stick. You know, the the Astros, they stuck with their guys like Jose Altuve in all those years of pain, and they have now George Springer, Alex Bregman, and the brass that they've developed in Houston. Miami can be that, but they have to pick a direction and stick with it. They cannot be signing guys such as Curtis Granderson, Neil Walker, keeping a Starling Castro on the roster. And I'm more upset with the Granderson and the Walker signings because they need to let their young players play. The only way you know if they're going to be successful is by letting them play at the major league level. What better place to know if a guy is going to succeed than at the major league level? There are opportunities out there, and the Marlins are deciding to sign veteran guys who aren't going to be a part of this future to help them maybe win a couple more games this season rather than having an embarrassing season. Yes, it's okay to have a couple embarrassing seasons, but if you look at the end goal five years from now, if the end goal is to be in the playoffs and be a competitive team in 2024, let's say, then you have to suck it up and realize, Derek Jr. needs to realize, I traded my talent. I traded Yelch. I traded Ozuna. I traded Stanton, Real Muto. And I left this team really with a barren landscape, but it's time to rebuild from the bottom up, and the bottom up rebuilds take a long time to happen. You can't put influx veterans in there, and you did mention some possible guys that they could bring in, but the best remaining free agent outfitters are guys like Denard Spann and Colby Rasmus. Don't bring those guys in. Give guys like Lewis Brinson an opportunity to have a solid sophomore season. Give other outfield prospects. Give Victor Victor Mason an opportunity rather than Curtis Granderson. Push Monte Harrison. Get him up to the major leagues rather than giving veterans who aren't going to be a part of this future and opportunity to play every day rather than realizing that, hey, we have guys in the minor leagues and we need to give opportunities. And that, that's where I'm at a crossroads because I like the direction, but the direction is starting to get blurry with trying to get guys like Adam Jones and then signing Curtis Granderson and Neil Walker. 
Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. And you got these guys on the mall that are signing, and you know, the mall's path is to rebuild. And then you got that young, older veterans on the team here. I guess the reasons for being here is to help out the younger guys on this rough path here. But, and you look at more outfielder, outfielder veterans that the Marlins could sign. And when you look into this, maybe a right fielder like Jose Bautista can maybe come in here and, you know, maybe help out the young guys, like I said before. Uh, wouldn't be a bad idea as well. But, you know, should the Marlins go in that direction? And, and, and Benson, you, you know, you are correct in some cases here where, you know, there's, there, they ought to pick one path and one path only. And, you know, if they're signing veterans like that, everyone's going to be very confused on what the uh, what the idea is here. And, you know, our our idea here is to rebuild and make a young franchise here. And, you know, when some people may question that with these, all these veteran signings on the fish, and, you know, we need to be more, you know, we need to be more open about bringing on younger guys and maybe calling up more, you know, prospects to get used to the MLB. But then you don't want to rush these guys so it's very tricky. The Marlins are in a very tricky situation here. The White Sox are kind of in the same situation here. You know, the you have the Tigers who are in the same situation as well. The Astros were too. You just, you know, the Astros know exactly what we're going through right now. They were in that process uh, in 2011, 12, 13, 14, even 15. And, you know, now they're competing now. The Orioles have just started their process of rebuilding. The Royals are rebuilding. Uh, the the Mariners are kind of rebuilding. I'm not too sure what they're doing, but it, you know the Padres were rebuilding, but now they're going to compete. But it, you know, it again, you know, if we signed Adam Jones, I would be I would have mixed emotions. Though it would help, but I would just have mixed emotions about it. Depending on what kind of deal we are offering him, and you know, the fit here would it be a good fit? Would he like it here? I don't know. Remember, it wasn't him longest interest. It was. There's borderline interest in him. And, you know, he's signed in Arizona. They are competing there as well. You know, they traded Paul Goldschmidt. But, yeah, I guess that's a good fit for him being there. I hope he does well there. And, uh, yeah, but Jose Bautista is maybe one option that the Fish could bring in here on a, on a veteran minimum contract. Nothing too big. Maybe Chris Young as well, age 35. Looking at some of these outfielders here, Austin Jackson, age 32, Matt Holliday, and maybe Denard Spann. You got these guys here. Maybe you can bring on veteran in contracts and maybe give him a year here. Maybe if they do well, just like close up Bautista, trade him for a younger prospect, just like the Mets did last year with Bautista. And, you know, he was, uh, very, he was decent last year. So, you know, it could be a smart idea for the Fish to trade Jose Bautista. For, you know, for some for some young prospects, and maybe take the chance on him. I actually like that idea of taking the chance on Bautista. And if he does well, you just trade him for some young, younger prospects for the future. That could be a nice uh, option for the Marlins, and they should definitely consider that. Benson, you think that would be a good idea to sign Jose Bautista to one of those contracts? What are your thoughts about any of those free agents uh, I just named? There? Do you think it would be good fits for the Marlins and potential trade pieces in the future? I mean, just to be blunt, I, I've got to say no because the the Marlins again they need to be focused on giving young guys opportunities at the big league level. You need to have guys in the starting lineup that you know if they succeed are going to be a part of the Marlins when they compete. Let's just say for fun, twenty twenty four. They cannot be giving jobs to guys like Jose Bautista. Yes, it's a nice PR move. It may sell some extra tickets. I mean, the Marlins do have a problem with that. But at the end of the day, the realization needs to occur that going through a rebuild, that, and they know that. I mean, it's not a secret, but they need to go all in. Yes, it's nice to have these PR moves such as Curtis Granderson, Neil Walker, maybe even a Jose Bautista, these big names but washed up at this point in their career. They may sell jerseys. They may sell tickets. They're going to get people to the ballpark. But are they going to contribute to the long-term goal of the Miami Marlins? The answer to that question is simple. It's no. And when you look at all of the successful rebuilds that have happened in the past, the Chicago Cubs and the Houston Astros most notably, 
They went through years of struggle. But at every opportunity that they had, they pushed their young players and they got them to the majors and saw what they had within them. And those guys went through growing pains together. And that's part, partially a reason why those teams were successful because they were so hungry when they finally had an opportunity to succeed. The Cubs and the Astros reached baseball glory with the uh, World Series champions in 2016 and 17, respectively. But so many other teams have went through the same rebuilding process in which growing pains have happened together. And just because I know the most about them, you take the Pittsburgh Pirates, for example. Uh, their mid-decade success, the 2013 to 15, when they made three straight playoff appearances, 2015 second-best team in all of baseball. That core group of guys that they had on that roster, and we'll take like the first wave of talent, for example, Andrew McCutcheon, Neil Walker, Pedro Alvarez, you know, the first wave of that talent to make it to Pittsburgh. The second wave of talent, you get guys like Starling Marte and Gregory Polanco. Jordy Mercer, that's the second wave of that talent. Josh Harrison, throw him in there too. And then it's all about supplementing that with quality free agent signings. Now, if this was 2022, 2023, I can understand why the bonds are coming to them with these nice veteran signings. And if you're just looking at it in terms of winning their good signings, but if you're looking at a direction, they're not. You know, if you look at the 2015 Pirates, I'm just going to hone back to them because I know the most about them. Signing guys like Russell Martin, Francisco Liriano, Edinson Volquez. They had, I mean, they brought up Garrett Cole, part of that wave as well. And the more interesting to realize that there are waves of talent, and they need to understand that they're going to come in waves. Right now, the Marlins are in that first wave period. How long are they going to be stuck in that first wave period? And if they continue to sign meaningless veteran free agents, that are going to stick around for a year, maybe get a lower-level prospect for them. They're going to be stuck in this first wave for a long time, and they've been stuck in that, arguably in that first wave for a long time now, at least since the last time they've made it to the playoffs and the last time since they won a World Series in 2003. And the Marlins historically have been known, build it up, tear it down, build it up, tear it down. It worked twice. They got them two World Series titles. You can't argue that. But you can argue that they're one of the most there's not there's a lack of direction and Jeter's trying to build that direction, but you can't muddy the waters at this point in the rebuild process. This is the most critical part of the process. And really the Marlins have to lose this season. If they want success in the future, they're gonna have to lose because they need that top draft pick for years to come. I mean the Astros, their guys, Altuve, Springer, Bregman, Correa all drafted guys. They need to draft the future of this team, not depend on some veteran free agents. They need to lose this season, and if they're going to lose, it's not going to be because they signed veteran free agents. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, the Marlins are stuck in that first grade path right now. I can't agree with you on that, Ben. I do think that we need to climb out of that. And we had a losing season last year. Hopefully we make choices this year as Again, we will not be competing, but when you look at those veteran guys, you know, these guys won't come in here and change. And when you look at ticket sales, you are right. These guys could put in butts in the seats. Jose Bautista can go on some fans, maybe. Maybe some of the Bautista fans out there. And the attendance has always been ruckus here. It's always been, it's never been ruckus here. It's always been bad here. And, you know, the White Sox are drawing in more fans in us, and they're rebuilding too. The Athletics were always on the bottom of that list, but we were always below them. And the Rays as well, but they actually are putting on a team out there that is going to compete now. You know, we're not going to sell many tickets now at this day and age, but, you know, hoping in the 2020s is when we are going to start competing for that right spot here. And, again, you know, you got opening day, which is right around the corner, and, you know, next week, here on the, on the Marlins catch, we'll be talking about that series against the Rockies, but you know, these veteran guys, they're going to come in here just like Granderson, they're kind of going their career, this is like their last stand here, to come in here to retire, a lot of people would say, as you know, this is it for them, they're going to retire right after this, and you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully we, uh, 
We just make it the best form. Uh, I, I am a big fan of Granderson. Uh, I, I won the best form. I think this is going to be his last season. Then he's going to retire, maybe sign a one-week contract with the Mets. Uh, I don't know. But, you know, yeah, you are right. They got to pick their path. Uh, and Adam Jones signing here would probably just slow up the process even more when you think about it. And, you know, and when you go back to the rotation, they haven't, they haven't signed one veteran starting pitcher either except for Wee and Chen a couple of years ago. All of these guys are young starting pitchers except for Wee and Chen. And, of course, Dan Straley. These guys have all been here. Like, you didn't go out and get a new guy, a new starting pitcher to compete. So, you know, that's definitely better off that we didn't. And, you know, again, uh, you know, we're not trying to win right now. We're trying to win in the future. That's, that's a big plan. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what our plan is here. The Marlins. As we are going into our final uh, minutes here, talked about the rotation. We talked about the awards. Spring at the Marlins have been very, very hot in spring. Hopefully, the Strangers go into the season most likely won't um, due to our team and the talent of the Rockies and everybody else. Uh, Bent, I have one last final question for you for the fish. I didn't ask you with your roster projection, not your roster, but your season projection will be for the fish and how many games they win. I said at least 60, maybe like last year. Maybe even worse, maybe like 55. How many wins do you think the fish will end up with this season? Uh, that's a tough question because really the the makeup of this Marlins roster, the first half and the second half is going hopefully be completely different. Hopefully, they realize that uh, this is going to work out in 2019, and they're able to ship off the likes of Granderson Walker. Uh, Starman Castro could get you some top-tier prospects and maybe try to try to move Wayne Chen's contract, um, get something for him would, would be nice. But, I mean, this is tough because I, I want them to have a record that earns them the number one overall draft pick in 2020. Now, the baseball draft isn't as hyped up as other drafts. I mean, we see the NBA Zion Williamson's projection number one pick like five years out uh, in the NFL, same deal. But if you look at the, the draft class in 2020, there are some very talented guys some, in every year in that top overall slot. I mean, you just look at the success rate with that. I mean, besides a couple flukes here and there, the number one overall picks tend to do very well. So the Marlins need that pick, and I'm going to give them 55 wins on the season. What would that pan out to be? 55 and 107. I think that'd get them number one overall pick. I'll be in competition with like the Orioles for that. Uh, but I want Derek Jeter to be able to see this through. And if if they are in limbo mode, if they do win 60, you know, upwards of getting to 70 games. Uh, there might be some changes. So hopefully, Jerusalem will see this rebuild through. And ultimately, the best thing for the Marlins is that their young players come out and do well. And they have some building blocks moving forward, and they're able to assess and get ready to get that first wave and move towards that second wave in 2020 and 2021. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, um, this is the uh, first wave. And fans, I know it's hard to say this, but you guys got to be patient. And you know, it's going to be a slow process, but, you know, I'm, we're hanging in here with you guys. And, you know, we just we want, we want a future team. But without further ado, that is going to conclude the Marlins Kids podcast for today. Benson, thank you so much for coming on today as our co-host. Um, really appreciate you. Your knowledge today, your knowledge about baseball is definitely uh, skyrocketing. It's great to have you on here so we can pick each other's brains a little bit. Uh, and the next time we come to you, we'll be talking about this first series against the Rockies. We will be previewing opening day as it is right around the corner. So the next time we come to you, we will officially be breaking down the first week of baseball as it is very, very close. Benson, thank you for coming on tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm the Mullins Catch, and we'll see you next time.
Marlins Catch is produced by Benson Fector. The Marlins Catch is a production of the Baseball Podcast Network. Be sure to give our host a follow on Instagram, Nick, at Marlins double underscore news, and Benson, at Bucks Dugout. For more of the Marlins Catch content, be sure to head over to their website at themarlinscatch.com and follow the Marlins Catch on Instagram at themarlinscatch. For more Baseball Podcast Network content, be sure to head over to their website at baseballpodcastnet.com and follow the Baseball Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Instagram at Baseball Podcast Net, Twitter at Baseball Podcast One, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-1, YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network, and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to the Marlins Catch. We'll see you next time.